This is lesson seven on the Revelation, and I have entitled this lesson, The Seven Seals and Matthew 24. We are actually finally, now after six lessons on the Revelation, we're finally getting into the actual meat of the Revelation. Everything up until now has been laying the foundation and laying the groundwork and introducing characters and settings and spiritual settings and helping us as the church to understand where our our role is so that the Revelation can be a book of courage and hope and faith and not one of doom and gloom. There is a lot of doom and gloom that happens to the pagans and God mockers in the Revelation, but if we're the church, and we are, we don't have to worry about that doom and gloom or the wrath that's coming upon us. Something I've said, I believe, every one of these lessons is that for me personally in studying all of this and writing these lessons, it has brought such a courage a confidence, for me personally, almost an arrogance. I don't mean that in a, in a prideful sense, but this, this surety of what God has called us to do as the body of Christ. We don't have to fear this tribulation that's going to come upon the whole earth because if we know who we are in Christ, if we can perceive the times and the seasons, we know that we have a job to do and we're going to operate unaided, or un, excuse me, not, not unaided, aided by the Spirit of God, but unhindered by the enemy. Jesus Christ had three and a half years of unhindered ministry, and the church, as it finishes this thing out, is going to to do ministry unhindered. We'll have opposition, sure, but it's not going to stop us. So rise up and be courageous, but I also would use these lessons to encourage you to prepare for the long-term run. I don't want our doctrine and our eschatology to make us escapists in that we live in fallout bunkers, not preparing for a future because Jesus Christ might come back at any time. It is true that Jesus Christ could come back at any minute now, but we should still prepare like we'll never see his return. My pastor, Dr. Barclay, points out when he teaches along these lines that every generation since the apostles of the Lamb, that's Acts chapter 1, every generation of the church for the last 2,000 years has been convinced theirs was the generation to see Jesus Christ return. And yet 2,000 years later, we're, we're still here. So let's jump into this lesson. That's my exhortation. And let's see what the seven seals are all about and Matthew 24. The events of the Daniel's 70th week begin to unfold as the Lord Jesus opens each of the seven seals of Daniel's prophecy. So we're getting into now the actual tribulation. And these events unfold as in heaven, the Lord Jesus opens this sealed scroll. And this is recorded in the book of Revelation. We got to look at Daniel chapter 12 first though. We know Daniel had, he was the forerunner that saw so much of this stuff come to pass, but he could only see so far and he could only see such detail. Then a lot of it was revealed to John approximately 500 years later when at, at the end of the first century. So Daniel chapter 12 verses four and nine. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book or scroll. The word book there is scroll. We don't know what a scroll is necessarily. It's, you know, you roll it together and you've got this scroll, not a book, but a scroll. Seal it up. Even to the time of the end, many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. And boy, if that isn't the day we live in. In fact, you know, I I hopped on an airplane two days ago and now I'm in Kenya and I'll hop on an airplane and come back. You could be anywhere in the world in less than 36 hours. Anywhere. And folks are flying and coming and going. Every airplane now is just about full running, coming to and fro. Knowledge shall be increased. Google can answer any question you have in less than a fraction of a second. There hardly isn't a single question that cannot be answered with Google in the palm of your hand right now. 
And he said, go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the end, excuse me, till the time of the end. So Daniel sees all this stuff unfolding, the things that would happen to his people, the Jews, at the end of time, at the end of these 490 weeks appointed unto them, or 490 years. There's one missing week. We covered this in a previous lesson. And so the events of that last week have been sealed up until the appointed time, and John got to see those seals broken and those last events unveiled. These intricate details of the time, or of this time of trouble were sealed up in a book and hidden until the time of the end. That's the time we're living in right now. John was living in the time of the end. John saw this same book in the Revelation sealed with seven seals. That's what he sees there in Revelation chapter 5, a scroll having seven seals, and everybody in heaven weeps because they can't find anybody worthy to open up this, this scroll that has the seven seals. Revelation 5, 1 and 2, And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne, that's God Almighty, a book or a scroll written within and on the back side. That means a scroll. You unroll the scroll, it's written on both sides. written inside the scroll, and when you unroll it, it's written on the back side too. So there's lots of details. And it was sealed with seven seals. That is like a wax signet ring. In these times, and some of you are familiar with that, they would put wax, hot wax, on a, a scroll or an envelope. And while it was still cooling, they would take their signet ring, which was a big deal in Roman times especially, and then into the Middle Ages, still a big deal in Rome, or excuse me, Europe. And they would press their ring into that wax seal to indicate me, myself, the possessor of this ring, wrote this letter, sealed it, and approved it. So that's what he says. It was sealed with seven seals. It creates the image. Wax has been dripped seven places along the, the, the seam of this scroll, and God Almighty, with his supernatural imprint, imprinted his seal. I wrote it. I sealed it. Only one person is worthy to open that. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose the seals thereof? Who is worthy? Because they couldn't find anybody. No human, no creation is worthy to open the, this book of the end. So the seals get open. John sees the Lord Jesus. The elders say, don't fear. The angel says, don't fear for the lamb. He is worthy. Of course, the lamb is Jesus Christ. Only Jesus is able to open these seals. And these are called the seven seal judgments. Theologians, eschatologists call these seven seals the seven seal judgments because every time one is open, something is kicked into motion in the earth and it's not good. As we will see, the events unleashed by these seven seals correspond with Matthew chapter 24. Now that's a powerful thing, to think Jesus Christ prophesied something at the Olivet Discourse, Mount Olivet Discourse, and what he prophesied lines up perfectly with what the Lord Jesus Christ revealed to John the Revelator 60 years later. And there, there's a parallel, step after step after step. So it's very neat to see the Bible just line up and confirm itself so beautifully. Man couldn't make this stuff up. The opening of these seals begins the 21 judgments of God upon the earth. Seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, and seven bowl or vile judgments. Each of these seven seals is open in heaven with an acute reaction in the earth. So with all 21 of these judgments that we'll study in the next few lessons, with all 21 of these judgments, John sees them begin in heaven, and then the, the effect of them is felt in the earth, or it shapes the earth, or shakes the earth, or changes the earth. 
And so we like to point out that this is the doing of God because the time of tribulation is God judging earth, judging the Jews, judging the pagan Gentiles. He is shaking everything. The earth, the heavens, everything is being shook and it's affecting everybody. There's nobody on planet earth during this tribulation that will not be affected positively or negatively. Millions and millions, if not into the billions of people will lose their lives and billions will end up in hell forever. This is a time we're so glad we're not gonna be a part of because we have been given a unique call in Christ called the church. All right, the first seal. The Antichrist rise to power. This is Revelation 6, 1 and 2. And this signifies the Antichrist's rise to power. This is at the beginning. This, this opening of the seal kicks off the tribulation. It's the beginning. The, the seal is open and now it's almost like you can hear the vapor bearer uh, be broken. It goes, it sets the fuse and now things are burning. And I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals and I heard as it were the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw and behold a white horse and he that sat on him had a bow and a crown was given unto him and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So this first seal is open. The Lord Jesus peels it back and opens it and it unleashes the Antichrist, who we know as the Antichrist, this political figure and it allows him to rise to power. He is symbolized here by riding a white horse which represents peace. He comes in the name of peace like all politicians claim to do. Hitler came in the name of peace. Idi Amin came in the name of peace. They all come promising something. No dictator rises with the threats of annihilation, extinction, and genocide. No, no, they come riding a white horse. But he that sat on him had a bow. No arrows, but a bow. And this represents his intention. His his real motive is, is warfare. It's combativeness. It's, he, he's hostile. And a crown was given unto him. So he doesn't begin with the crown, but one was given unto him. And that symbolizes his rise to power. And the crown, of course, represents him obtaining authority and dominion. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. That's his motive. He wants to conquer. This first seal reveals the rise of the Antichrist. The rider is a, is a single individual with a bow, symbolizing aggression and domination. He is given a crown. We've covered that. This symbolizes his rise to power in fulfillment of Daniel. And there's plenty of passages there speaking of uh, the Antichrist as Daniel saw him. The church's departure will free him up to grow in power. Remember, we're the great restraint. We hold back the powers of darkness. When we're, the, he will be alive when the church is still here, whether he's alive now or has yet to be born. We're not for sure. But he will still be here when the church is here or he'll be alive during the church's climax. And then when we're gone, it will free him up to rise to power and prominence. In fact, more than likely, he will be a politician in power somewhere while the church is still here because it's not like the church is gone and then he's born the next day. He will be kind of in the wings waiting to move into the vacuum the church leaves. The white horse symbolizes his false messiah-like nature. He comes promising peace but can never deliver this. His covenant with Israel, which as we've said in previous lessons, kicks off the tribulation. His covenant with Israel is part of this false peace. For some reason, Israel will need peace and the world will want peace with Israel. No doubt because Israel is not afraid to pick a fight, or excuse me, I should say not afraid to finish a fight. They are peaceful people as long as you leave them alone. 
But you mess with Israel, they're not afraid to call in gunships if you throw a rock at them. <laughs> That's Israel for you. Something will happen that will require a peace in, in and with Israel, and the Antichrist will be the one to broker this deal. He will seek world dictator status, as all demon-possessed politicians do. Of interesting note, war, famine, and death follow this world leader in the next three seals. That's interesting. But bad government always tends to produce war, famine, and death. Many, uh, many a theologian has pointed out that there's no greater threat to human existence than world governments. And now we also know that the, the movement towards a one world government is very active. But there's no greater taker of life than communist regimes, socialist regimes. I mean, Nazi itself is an acronym for National Socialist Party. Governments kill people. That's just what they do because they get corrupted by devils. Now, Matthew 24, with, with all these seven seals, we're going to see the counterpart played out in Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is key to understanding the timeline of these seals. Uh, Jesus spoke of the rise of, of powerfully deceitful and deceptive leaders claiming to have the answers to save mankind. Matthew 24, 4b and 5 says this, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. This corresponds to that first seal. A man going forth on a white horse, promising peace, promising Messiah-like deliverance. But Jesus Christ answered that and said, let no man deceive you, for many shall say, behold, I am Christ. I am anointed. I have the answers. The Antichrist will be the chief of these deceivers during the tribulation. So we see the first seal and Matthew 24 starting to run in unison together. The second seal. Uh, this is Revelation 6, 3, and 4. Peace departs and war has to follow. When peace leaves, all you have is war and chaos. And when he had the, the lamb, when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red. And power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. Folks complain that we don't have much peace now. Can you imagine what the world will be like when God ordains a power to completely strip peace from the earth? What will that do to marriages? What will that do to children who sleep at night? The Bible says this horse, this rider will take peace totally from the earth. Mankind is able to muster a little bit of peace. Even the pagan nations have a little bit of peace. We know only true peace will be found in Christ. I imagine when that peace is stripped, folks will begin seeking Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, because he'll be the only peace that can be found in the earth in those days. To take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. You think uh, violent cities like Chicago and L.A. and New York are bad now, wait till peace is taken from the earth. The Bible prophesies they would kill one another. They're killing one another right now. How much more will that ramp up? The second seal unleashes a rider who is authorized to take peace from the earth. The red horse is symbolic of bloodshed, as red usually is. And the great sword is surely indicative of the wars that will follow. No peace is going to produce turmoil, chaos, strife, wars, rumors of wars, insurrections, rioting, looting, pillaging, raping. No doubt, besides the wars and rumors of wars that will precede this horseman, the world's murder rates will soar, as will national, civil, and class conflicts. We already feel that right now. We're feeling race riots. We're feeling class warfare. We're feeling turmoil and, and tension in our major cities. Obviously, also of note, your major cities don't have much Christianity in them anymore. 
The absence of peace will produce total strife and conflict everywhere. And peace is promised not to return to the earth until the Prince of Peace comes and sets up his kingdom, as Isaiah chapter 9 promises. But now let's look at how Matthew 24 parallels the second seal. Jesus foretold the progression of these, seal, these seals before John even saw them. He says, uh, Matthew 24, 6 and 7, And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. That speaks of peace being gone and a, a red horse and a sword and people killing each other. See that you be not troubled. See, this is written for the believers that are here in that day that get saved. He says, don't be troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. It'll be so bad in those early days of the tribulation, they'll think the end is here. But the Lord's basically saying, nope, you got six more years. You got seven more years. You got five more years. For nation or ethnic people group, that's racism, racial, they shall rise up against racial and kingdom shall rise up against kingdom. Uh, we see that, those two seals, that seal and the Lord Jesus speaking of this, they, they line up in unison. The departure of peace will produce wars, saber rattling. That's rumors of wars. That's, that's the tension. Right now, there's a lot of tension between Pakistan and India. They're kind of in a nuclear race. I, I, Indian underground tests a nuke. Pakistan has to underground test a nuke. North Korea, South Korea, that's saber rattling. It'll be increased a lot more when peace is taken from the earth. National tensions, ethnic and racial tensions, and, and kingdom tensions. That, you know, this, in, even in the Middle East, the Muslim countries don't get along. Even in the Middle East, Iran right now is threatening to wipe out Saudi Arabia and to destroy the crown that runs Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is a monarchy, and Iran is a republic. It's a dictatorship, but they call themselves a republic. They don't like each other. How much worse will all this get when peace is taken from the earth? Yeah, the departure of this will produce a lot of tensions, and I believe we can already see this escalating now. Now, again, these things will happen in earnest and in full effect when the church is gone, but we're experiencing the labor pains now. We're experiencing early contractions now. We can see this. This is where the whole world is headed, and yet the church is the great restraint. We are the oil and the engine. Without the, without the oil, the engine will run for a season, but it'll produce so much heat, it'll eventually lock up and rupture. This earth is headed towards a rupture. Thank God we get to go in the rapture. The third seal, we got to move along here because we've got lots to cover. The, the third seal unleashes famine and pestilence. Revelation 6, verses 5 and 6. And when he'd opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see that thou heardest not the oil and the wine. What is that talking about? Famine and pestilence. The third seal reveals a horseman who holds a pair of scales in his hand, such as was used in buying and selling goods. We've seen the scales, you know, like Lady Liberties, who we know now with the scales of justice. But, you know, medieval times, biblical times, they had scales. So we're talking about world economics now. We're talking about the food supply, the cost of living. Back in these days, a penny was a day's wage, and a measure is about a quart. So I did the conversions and checked it with some of the commentaries. Basically, the food prices will be so high that a quart of grain will cost a day's wage, or basically $60 for a loaf of bread as of uh, 2016. 60 bucks for a loaf of bread. But now the fact that the oil and the wine are not to be touched lets us know that the wealthy 
won't have any problems at all. They'll, they'll still be wealthy because they can afford all this. Oil and wine has always been a biblical reference to prosperity. So the poor will be hurt even worse. Middle income seems to be totally wiped out. Because even with middle income, $60 for a loaf of bread, and we know this is all symbolic of what's really going to happen in earnest, uh, 60 bucks will break any family. Matthew 24 parallels this as far as famine and pestilence. Uh, this continues the Lord's prophecy concerning this tribulation timeline, and it parallels the third seal. Matthew 24 says, And there shall be famines. Well, that's exactly what the third seal unleashes. And pestilences. And then it goes on to add, And earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows, or the birth pangs, the labor pains. We see that, again, just like any bad dictator now, I've studied probably Idi Amin, the famous dictator of Uganda, more than I even studied, have studied Hitler, so I'm very familiar with his regime. He came promising great peace, but Idi Amin was truly of a Sudanese tribe. Uganda is Uganda because the British drew the boundaries, but you had tribes all over Africa, and Idi Amin's tribe was actually Sudanese. So he felt no loyalty to the Bugandan kingdom, which is what Uganda is named after. But he was a military general and rose to power and became their leader, their president, but really was a vicious dictator. When these dictators rise to power, and he was truly demon-possessed, he sacrificed, he worshiped the devil, he had one of his wives cut to pieces because she had an affair on him. When they rise to power, they rise on a tide of popularity and, and empty promises, and then all hell sets in, and he begins to eliminate his enemies and, and butcher them and massacre them, and that throws the economies into turmoil, and then you start to have civil unrest, and so then there's bloodshed, and then when that happens, all the food starts drying up. Food and medical supplies dry up, pestilence and plague sweep in there, things that a healthy society could have dealt with because you have a dictator running the show, it all falls apart quickly. These are all micro studies of what the Antichrist will be like. Bad governments, bad leadership will always produce wars and poverty and privation. Just look at North Korea. Bad governments, they're always fighting about nothing. They're like the little man syndrome, those chubby little dictators there in Korea, North Korea. And all they are is shaking their swords, starving their people to death. We see this affecting the whole earth in the time of the tribulation. Fourth seal here. This unleashes death and hell. That's what always follows war. That's what always follows bloodshed. That's what always follows famine and disease. Death and hell. And when he'd opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked and behold a pale or uh, coloros, green, a green horse. Green always represents sickness and, and death. And his name, that, his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. This is one of the most quoted verses out of the Revelation. And power was given unto them, that is death and hell, over the fourth part of the earth, to kill with sword, with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. Interesting. Animals will rise up and begin to kill people. Most uh, theologians agree that what it means by over a quarter of the earth means a quarter of the world's population will die through these four seals here. That this rise will start to kill people off left and right. They'll have all sorts of lame excuses for this. But see, some of this will be, you know, maybe at this time Pakistan and India turn on each other and go nuclear. Maybe North Korea and South Korea finally turn on each other with the governments and the people that are left and they go nuclear. We, we don't know. We just know that 
death and hell are unleashed in full force and it affects a quarter of the world. Death and hell are personified here and are described with personal pronouns, him and them. This verse indicates the terrible success of the first three writers. The conqueror, no peace, and thus producing war and famine. Even the beasts of the earth will begin to kill people like never before. Perhaps at return at the return or as the return of the Colosseums. Maybe some of the persecution that takes place here is uh, Colosseum type spectatorship where they're throwing Christians or actually this time they'll be converts to Christianity, saints, tribulation saints, throwing them to be martyred at the mouth of lions. These calamities will affect one quarter of the world's inhabitants. So I did some math. Estimated world population by 2025 is roughly 8 billion. Let's assume the rapture takes a quarter of people. That would be 2 billion. That leaves 6 billion on earth after the rapture. That would mean 1.5 billion dead people with the opening or by the time you open the fourth seal. 1.5 billion dead people within two years. Traumatic. The world could still function, but just devastating. If you study world history, you'll find that even in times of war, even in times, even in the times of Idi Amin or Hitler, life still went on. There was still alcohol to be found. There was still prostitution to be had among the troops. The, even the families who, who lived in cottages where the wars were being fought, they still eked out an existence. We forget how indomitable the human spirit is and how much people will, life just demands to keep on living. Even though a quarter of the world's population will be dead in just 20 months or so, the timeline's a little hazy if you want to get down to exact days, life will still march on. Commerce will still take place. People will still be sinning and living like animals in gross darkness. But this is the time of the tribulation. Hell, the fact that hell is personified also lets us know that a bulk of these people will be going straight to hell. It will just open up and swallow them alive. Fifth seal, thank God we're not here. We got a job to do, let's get on it. Fifth seal, Revelation chapter 6, 9 through 11. This is the, the revealing of the lesser tribulation martyrs or the tribulation martyrs. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God. Notice it doesn't say Christians, it doesn't say church. It says the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Notice these are folks that love God, serve God, perhaps under even previous dispensations, but they are the souls of martyrs. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not avenge, judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. So the, the voice is telling them, a loud voice is saying, uh, you have to wait here a little bit longer until everybody that's appointed unto martyrdom dies even as you have. There's still more deaths to be, to be harvested here. But I, I want you to notice that the tone is one demanding vengeance and they're demanding vengeance in heaven. So they're not taking an attitude, it's not sass. Remember, there's a commandment that says, uh, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. There are times when we can ask the Lord for vengeance, but the Lord will always, you gotta be careful, he will always command patience. When you ask for vengeance, the first thing the Lord will always say to you is, patience, vengeance is mine. 
These, these martyrs demand vengeance, and God says, don't worry, it's coming. Amen. This passage reveals that persecution to the point of martyrdom will begin when the Antichrist comes to power, even though he will feign or fake peace with Israel. The fact that we're not even to the, uh, the midpoint of the tribulation yet, and we're already racking up martyrs under the altar of God in heaven this speaks quite loudly that there will be persecution against those converting to Christianity. The ministry of the 144,000 witnesses will usher in this tremendous revival and many of these martyrs will be included in the death toll of that fourth seal. There is no doubt in my mind that with wars and rumors of wars that those that are converting to Christianity after the rapture, there'll be collateral damage. Some of them will be martyrs. Some of them will just be the fallout from these wars all over the earth. I think, uh, what was the statistic? A couple years ago, I saw there's over, there's right at 200 or 210 nations in the earth. The number of nations not involved in some kind of military conflict at the time, this has been two, three years ago, it was only 10 or 12 nations were not somehow involved in a, con- a military conflict in the world just a few years ago. Some of our nations have been at conflict for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years. Just imagine when peace is totally taken, just totally taken from the earth, how many of those conflicts will boil over into civil wars. Not even the Antichrist War, not even the War of Armageddon, just localized civil wars. How many tribes in Africa will rise up against each other? What would the Sunnis and the Shias do to each other in the Middle Eastern countries? We're talking just total chaos. Even in the time of Idi Amin, when he hadn't begun to persecute the Christians yet, there were people that were just shot in the head at traffic stops for no reason at all. Many of them would have been Christians. So there's a massive death toll just due to the fact that God is beginning to really pour out his wrath on mankind for their rebellion against him and their persecution of Israel, his people. The saints are seen in heaven crying out, for vengeance upon their still living persecutors. They're demanding that those that persecuted them be uh, avenged and judged. And the Lord says, patience, it's coming. He's still gonna tell you the same thing today. Patience. Matthew 24 forewarns those living in that day of this very phenomenon. He says, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, speaking of this martyrdom, and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. That's not talking about the Jews, because that's a different dealing with the Lord. Talking about those that convert to Christianity. Some of those will be Jews. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another. And shall hate one another. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Jesus, again, is right in line with the seals. The fifth seal says, tribulation martyrs. Jesus said in Matthew 24, they're going to turn you up to be persecuted and even killed. Your own family. The other gospels point out your own family will turn you in. Amen. I'm glad we're not going to be here. Rise up with confidence. Say, praise God, we get to finish this thing out strong. We're the church. We're the restraint. Let's do some restraining. Sixth seal, moving along here. This is what we call cosmic disturbances and great dread. There's no other way to explain this but to say cosmic disturbances are unleashed. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. We know there's blood moons, so we're not talking about literally turned blood, but the atmospheric conditions cast that red hue, even more red than perhaps we've ever seen in history. 
and the stars of heaven fell into the earth. That's interesting to note because we're going to see that allegory of stars over and over again. I personally don't believe it has anything to do with asteroids or meteorites. I personally don't believe it has anything to do with, we know it can't be gaseous stars because the closest one is um, Alpha Centauri and it's like 57,000 light years away. It's something ridiculous. That's the closest star. So these aren't falling to the earth. But one of the allegories for stars or one of the symbols that stars represent in the Bible is angels and servants of God. So if it's talking about the stars of heaven, it may in fact be referencing to angelic beings, either demons in the principalities of the air or angels as well. Keep that in mind. The stars of heaven fell into the earth even as a fig casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together and every mountain and island were moved out of their places and the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men. Notice there's still rich people here. And the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman, that is a slave, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? Notice here that even the pagans recognize the time now. We've had five great judgments. Now here's the sixth one. And these great men, these wealthy men, these mighty men, these captains of war, they start looking for caves all over the world. They're looking for caves and they're they're not deceived as to who this is doing this. They say, hide us from the wrath of the lamb. They even call him by his proper title, the lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come. Now day doesn't mean 24 hours. The term day in the Bible also references a period of time. Just like it does, my hour is not yet here, Jesus said, as do many others. The hour of his visitation was not just 60 minutes, but it was a season. So what does this all represent? The sixth seal seems, and this is one of my new strong convictions, this seems to be the Lord's response to the abomination desolation and to signal the mid-tribulation rapture and resurrection of the tribulation saints of God. We know that there's a mid-tribulation rapture And that would seem to correspond to the heavens departing as a scroll when it's rolled together. You can see the sky opening up and the saints being taken out of there. You see this great cosmic disturbance, things being cast down to the earth, stars, in that case, uh, angelic beings. Uh, What if this is the Lord with the heavens response to the abomination desolation? Because the mid-tribulation is when everything shifts. In fact, the last tribulation offers even more detail. The last half of the tribulation has even greater amounts of detail than the first half. The last half of the detail, excuse me, the last half of the tribulation is what's called to called the 42 months or, or the number of days or the time and time and half of times. It is so detailed and it seems like that turn when the abomination desolation takes place, when Antichrist sets himself up as God, At the midway point, that's when everything shifts even more. Even the pagans recognize now is the day of his wrath, the great day of his wrath. And Jesus Christ even called that last three and a half years great tribulation. Most of the eschatologists, now you can always find differing opinions, most of them believe this sixth seal here is right there at that mid-tribulation, right in the same season as the abomination desolation. 
This is confirmed by cross-examining Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. Notice that even the pagans recognize that God is about to pour out of his wrath. So let's see if maybe we can't find some parallels here indicating this sixth seal represents the rapture of the saints and ties it into the abomination desolation. Matthew 24, immediately after the tribulations of those days, the first three and a half years of tribulation, shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. See, See the parallel there. Immediately after the tribulation, well, the first three and a half years of tribulation, but immediately after those, the sun will be darkened. We just read that. The moon shall not give her light. She'll turn blood red. The stars shall fall from heaven. Well, that's what John saw. And the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. The powers, that's talking about principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. Mark 13, 24 follows a description of the affliction following the abomination desolation. Matthew 24 leaves out that detail, but Mark 13 includes it. But in those days, after that tribulation, not after the tribulation, but that time of tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in the heavens shall be shaken. Now, this passage follows the description of the abomination desolation. So he talks about the abomination desolation. Then he says, and in those days of the abomination desolation, after that tribulation, the previous tribulation leading up to it, all these symptoms happen. Hopefully you're seeing this. I can't judge you through the camera to see whether you're with me or not. I trust this is making sense. Luke 21 will further drive the point home. Luke 21, 25 follows a description of what will happen in Judea. That is Israel, Jerusalem. When the Antichrist desolates the temple and declares that Jerusalem must be trodden down to the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles is fulfilled. This further places, this passage which we're about to read, it further places the sixth seal being opened at the halfway point of the tribulation. So let's look at these two verses. Right after, this is right after Jesus says, and if you're in Jerusalem, if you're in Judea, you better get out of Dodge. The abomination desolation is happening. There shall be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth distress of nation with perplexity. That word perplexity means you got absolutely no way out. The sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. These are all describing the same sequence of events. We put them all three together, and what you see is that, as it appears to me, as I'm teaching you with as much confidence as I have, when the, when the Antichrist commits the abomination desolation, when he goes in there and does this thing, this, this very prophesied about event, that, that, that sixth seal is open, and it produces the rapture of the, of the mid-tribulation rapture of the saints, of the 144,000 and of all those that have converted to Christianity at that time that are still alive. It shakes the powers of the heavens, the principalities, the powers, the might, and the dominion. In fact, in the next couple verses, we'll cover this if we don't cover it here. In fact, in this season, and this is going to blow some of your minds because some of us have been taught probably a little goofy in some areas, it is at this season that Satan is cast down to the earth. He is part of those heavenly powers. He is the prince of the power of the air. He controls the heavenly, excuse me, the earthly kingdoms from the heavens. 
And this is the season at which he is cast down and he pulls a third of the stars with him. Now, the thing that might challenge your doctrine is that Satan falling and taking a third of the stars with him did not happen in the past. It happens in the future. And we don't have time to prove that out in this session. This has been one of the points of my studies that has really challenged what I've been taught. Lucifer still is in the heavenlies. Now, we could debate whether he's in the heaven of God or not. But the Bible does say up until the end of the Revelation, the temple in heaven is shut. Uh, th- see, these are things that we start to work out and tiptoe like through a minefield because we might step on one of your doctrines and you blow up on us. So we tread lightly. All I can show you is what these scriptures say over and over again. At this point, when the sixth seal is open, everybody tends to agree this is the mid-tribulation point. Everybody's timeline says this. This is the rapturing of the saints. This shakes the heavens. This sets in in motion the worst part of the tribulation. When the actual, I mean, just demon power in force is unleashed on the earth. Hell is opened up. The abyss is opened up. And demon hordes in the hundreds of millions are unleashed on the earth. This makes a tremendous spiritual shift. This is where it would come into play where it says, Woe unto you inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For, for the dragon has fallen, Satan has fallen to the earth, and he knows his time is short. This is all corresponding to that season. The consistent reference of stars falling from heaven to the earth is probably a reference to demonic forces being cast down to the earth, no longer free to roam the heavenlies over cities and nations. Isaiah 13.10 and Joel 2.10 and 3.15 reveal that astronomic stars will not give their light at this event. Now hear that. Isaiah and Joel say at this event in time, the stars of the heavens, the astronomic ones, the ones that make up our constellations, they, they will no longer give their light. They'll be darkened. They'll be blackened. Those prophets don't say they fall. Those prophets say they, they stop shining. There's a darkness that blocks that light out. So evidently, by building our doctrine with lots of scriptures, we see there are stars that fall to the earth and there are stars that cease to give their light. We have to judge that in light of other scriptural interpretation and recognize because Jesus says, the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. We have to believe that the powers of the heavens are also stars in this allegorical reference and those stars are cast down. Even as the revelation says, I saw Satan fall, the dragon swept and he took, he swept his tail and took a third of the stars with him. We know there's angels in the heavenlies, but we also know there's demon powers. Perhaps it is that the demon powers are pulled down and the angelic forces are left in the heavenlies. That makes pretty good sense to me. If I'm kerfluffling and ruffling your feathers, just hold with us. Make sure you've got lots of doctrine or scripture to disagree, but hear me out. I've spent nearly five months on this. My wife can tell you how many hours I have spent pouring over all of these books, all of the scriptures, working out this doctrine for my own sake and salvation. Amen. Stars are often representative of spiritual entities, as proven in Judges 5, Job 38, Isaiah 14, Daniel 8, and Revelation 12.4. So we have Bible to prove that the stars that are falling are not asteroids, comets, or meteorites, but they are in fact more than likely spiritual forces falling to the earth at the opening of this seal.
that marks the, tri- the mid-tribulation point. That brings us to the seventh seal, which is terrifying because it's called the heavenly silence. And when he had opened, this is Revelation 7, 1, when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Now think about that. Never has heaven been quiet. When Isaiah went to heaven in a vision, he saw angels, the seraphim, around the throne of God saying, holy, holy, holy. John goes to heaven. There's a myriad of angels worshiping God. There's the sea of the crystal sea worshiping God. There's the seraphim saying, holy, holy, holy. The four beasts saying, holy, holy, holy. There's the angels and the elders talking. There's God giving orders and commands and the Lord Jesus interceding on our behalf as a high priest. And yet at the seventh seal, all of heaven is silent. And John is able to measure the, the time length. He said about half an hour. You don't measure time when you're having fun. You measure time when it's painful, when something ominous is happening. Not since the creation of the angels has heaven been silent. This has been called the calm before the storm. And truly it is. This is the midway point. This is the calm before the storm. And the worst is yet to come. Jesus Christ called it great tribulation. But I say be of good cheer. Even if we get raptured at the mid-tribulation point because we didn't go in the first tribulation, excuse me, the first rapture, we miss this worst part, this great tribulation. And thanks be to God, we're delivered and healed and set free to serve God now. Amen. I'm out of time. That was 47 minutes, believe it or not. You guys have been very attentive. Let me pray for you and you'll get ready for regular service. Father, bless this pod school, bless this Sunday school, bless our understanding of the scriptures. Bring us more and more enlightenment in this subject. And as we approach this time in history, may our vision get clearer and clearer. Though we see through a glass darkly, Lord, the closer those things get to that glass, we can see through it better. We thank you, Lord, for giving us understanding. Bless us because we're studying and keeping the words of this prophecy. Bless this awesome church, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.